we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. RCMP need your help finding a driver who struck a man at Burnaby and left him for dead. It happened last night on a busy stretch of road. Our Jeff Hastings is near Gilly Avenue and Beresford Street where it happened. And Jeff, what's the latest on the victim's condition tonight? Well, Chris, the latest on his condition is that he's not doing well. He's in critical condition, but as far as we know, the man is not dead. He was struck right here just before 9 o'clock last night. I can tell you this is a very busy complicated intersection. There's a lot of interaction between pedestrians and vehicles and cyclists, even rollerbladers. Pedestrians cross Burnaby's Gilly Avenue quickly. They don't seem to notice the blood or evidence of a frantic attempt to save a man's life. A 68-year-old struck Sunday night, witnessed by a woman driving behind the vehicle that hit the man and fled the scene. She thought someone was throwing something from a vehicle, like a box, clothing, probably the gentleman's clothing. Um, then she realized right away that it was someone who was struck. The victim was conscious and badly hurt when the witness stopped. She saw the man uh, being struck lying on the ground. She attended to him right away, tried to wave down vehicles for help. Um, no one stopped. She called 911. Witnesses reported that the alleged suspect vehicle continued southbound on Gilly Avenue near Bearsford. It is early in the investigation, but police believe that the vehicle is red in color and will have damage to the front of it. There isn't much more for investigators to go on. Their eyewitness traumatized, wishing she'd been able to get a closer look at the suspect. Of course, she's been trying to uh, remember what kind of vehicle was involved in this incident, but... Um, it's been weighing on her and, uh, you know, feel terrible for the man and his family. It's a very stupid corner. I hate to say the S word. A complicated intersection. Look six ways before crossing the street, say locals. I hate to say it. It's not the safest corner to cross. Um, a lot of the times they will go right past you, not even noticing that you're in the crosswalk. Yeah, Jeff, obviously neighbors have a lot to say about this intersection. What's the history at that location? Uh, well, as far as the police were concerned today, Chris, they went back three years in their record search, and there's been one incident involving a pedestrian struck in this intersection in the last three years. Uh, we've spoken to two people today, one who said there was an accident, a uh, pedestrian struck in 2005. Another one suggested approximately 2003 they saw someone struck as well. That same person said they've been trying to get change here. There are no flashing lights. There's a crosswalk, there's a street light overhead, but there's no flashing lights to warn drivers on this very busy road when there is somebody in the intersection. Six ways, a lot of different ways to look and a lot of danger. Back to you. 
All right, Jeff, thanks very much. RCMP are now appealing for information about a road rage incident that left a taxi driver badly beaten. Global News first brought you this story last week. The victim says an older model white pickup truck was swerving across all three lanes of the Golden Ears Bridge early on the morning of February 25th. When the taxi went to pass, he honked to make the other driver aware. And that's when the victim says the pickup driver boxed him in, got out of his truck and beat him. Police are looking for any witnesses who may have driven past the incident or observed a white pickup truck in that area at around 3.30 that morning, February 25th. And we now know the identity of a young man killed in a crash near UBC over the weekend. A relative confirms to Global News Atul Singh, who went by the name Mickey, died in the crash. The 21-year-old was driving a Mercedes-Benz car to go eastbound on West 16th near Discovery Street early Sunday morning when he lost control and crashed into a tree. Delta police are the first in the province to hand out new e-tickets to drivers. The pilot program allows officers to scan someone's driver's license rather than issuing a traditional written ticket. Grace Key explains how it's supposed to streamline the process and crack down on bad drivers. Several police departments are foregoing their pens for e-tickets. Officers will scan a person's driver's license and offense details are automatically filled in, ensuring accuracy while saving time. Delta is the first of five agencies to start this pilot program. We write about 22 tickets a day, about 8,000 tickets a year, and there's officers' errors involved. When police write a roadside ticket, that information can be entered up to four times by police, ICBC, court staff and other agencies, leaving a potential for errors and increasing the likelihood for a ticket to be challenged. An e-ticket sends the information automatically to various agencies. It will allow the police then to be doing other duties of which, uh, you know, core policing of what, what the public expects the police to be doing. Um, it will, what it will do, though, is it will eliminate the, uh, the number of tickets um, that are thrown out because of technicalities, because a form wasn't filled in properly. E-tickets will also speed up the process for data sharing, meaning high-risk drivers will be flagged much quicker than before. Typically that will take two to three days for the officer to get that ticket in through his sergeant and then separated from our clerk and administrators. Then they'll be bundled and sent to ICBC, who will then manual entry them again and then record any of the high-risk red flags that may need to be done. So it could take two to three weeks by the time that information gets back to police. For the first time, drivers will have the option to pay their e-tickets through a new online service. The road safety initiative costs $14.7 million and includes upgrades to ICBC and the province-wide police database system. The pilot project wraps up in mid-May and a province-wide rollout is possible later this year. Grace Key, Global News. RCMP in Coquitlam are taking a new angle to catch distracted drivers. Officers using special techniques during March's month-long distracted driving campaign. Getting above it all in a variety of ways to spot offenders and then feed that information to officers on the ground nearby. A lot of people are wise to the fact that police are looking out for distracted drivers, so they're attempting to hide their phones when they're using them. We're getting up high. We're using a cherry picker. We're using officers at SkyTrain stations. We're using officers on motorcycles and bicycles to get above drivers and really see what they're doing on their laps. Statistics show you are five times more likely to get into a crash if you're using a handheld device. 
ICBC is looking to fix its cash problems by making bad drivers pay more while giving good drivers a break on their premiums. And you have a chance to steer, uh, steer the discussion. The public insurance company's rate fairness survey is open from now until April 5th. The public being asked for feedback on a series of proposed changes, including a driver with 20 years experience and no at-fault crashes for 10 years would be given one free claim instead of the current 13 years. Once a driver loses the pre-crash discount, sorry, current three years, it would take 10 years of no at-fault crashes instead of three to get that discount back. And at-fault crashes would stay on the driver's record, not the vehicle owner. But the owner would be charged a fine for letting an unlisted driver behind the wheel in the event of a crash. And even stiffer fines if that driver doesn't share the same address. A cold case dating back decades involving sexual assault allegations and a Maple Ridge Elementary School is heading to court. The victim, now 32, claims he was just five when the abuse began. And he says despite reporting it to the school, nothing was ever done. Ramina Dea has more on the civil trial next month and a warning. Some of the details are sensitive in nature. This is a drawing you did? Yeah, that was in grade two. It's a picture of uh, Joseph and me. It was a cry for help. 32-year-old Darren Telford was in elementary school when he sketched this. So he has a smiley face. Yeah. Why is that? Because he gets to do whatever he wanted. And you? I was helpless. Telford was in kindergarten, just five years old, when he claims Joseph Duff, a school volunteer, started sexually assaulting him. He'd put his hands down my pants and fondle my genitals. He'd play games like, oh, it's getting bigger, Darren, it's getting bigger. Um, I just didn't, I was confused too, like. 27 years later, Telford is now suing School District 42 in a civil suit, claiming Duff was in charge of games and activities when Duff sexually assaulted him at Glenwood Elementary School in Maple Ridge. This is where Joseph Duff lived. Duff lived right on the school's property line. That's how close he was. Telford lived across the street. Some of the abuse took place by the playground, and uh, another time was over here. There's a sandbox. Telford was interviewed by the RCMP in 1991. Corporal Pat Walsh writes, The boy comes across as believable. The investigator's observations about Duff I was unable to form an opinion about his truthfulness. Telford claims his mother reported the sexual abuse to the principal, George Sikora, but no one believed her, and the abuse continued until he was seven years old. The family forced to move because the school failed to protect him, according to the lawsuit. Who knew? When did they know? Um, who was responsible for this? Like the school was supposed to protect me from the monsters. To further complicate this case, three key players are dead. The victim's mother, Loretta Telford, the perpetrator, Joseph Duff, and the principal, George Sikora. The district refused our request for an interview because the matter is before the court. In its statement of defense, the school district denies that sexual acts, assaults, or touching occurred in or on property. Joseph Duff was at no time employed, volunteering, or involved in supervising children. Neither the school district or any of its employees were advised at any time of any sexual abuse committed by Joseph Duff. 
Ultimately, Duff was charged in 1999 with two counts of sexual assault against Telford. But the case never went to trial. Duff was released on a peace bond. Why? It's still a mystery. I deserve justice. Telford says the abuse ruined his life. Difficulty getting a job, drug charges, inability to trust. Almost three decades later, he wants his day in court. I want them to take responsibility and stop fighting the victims. They're going to keep fighting me, but I'm not going to stop. Ramina Dea, Global News. Well, according to a new report, public confidence in our justice system is among the lowest across the country. In fact, the study finds B.C. is one of the worst places to be if you're a victim. Ted Chernecki has a closer look at why that's the case and what can be done. If justice delayed is justice denied, then there's a lot of denial going on in B.C. A second academic report puts this province almost dead last when it comes to the efficiency of our courts and policing systems. We've got the top four provinces include um, Atlantic provinces and Ontario. Middle of the pack are, um, you know, Quebec and Alberta. And then right at the bottom of the list, you have, you have Saskatchewan, B.C., Manitoba and the, and the Northern Territories. When it comes to the clearance rate of violent crime in B.C., only 52% is resolved, compared to a national average of 62%. And only 20% of non-violent crime is resolved, versus 29%. And B.C. has the highest breach of probation in the country. The failing of our law enforcement system is something Eileen Mohan knows all too well. It's been... This would be my 11th year. ...since her only son was executed, allegedly by the Surrey Six. Our system is still in the old system ages and it needs to walk into the 21st century. The stats studied by the McDonald-Laurier Institute date back to 2016 and the report notes that the current NDP government cannot be held responsible for BC's failing record. After 16 years of neglect where we've seen legal aid cut, we've seen cuts in sheriffs uh, and court services, I'm not surprised. In fact, I'm surprised uh, that we're not lower. Um, But uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done and we've started on that uh, in the September update and in this budget. Perhaps it's not surprising that it was a B.C. case that resulted in the Supreme Court of Canada ruling in July 2016 that said Canadians have a right to a timely hearing. If provincial cases are delayed more than 18 months, the charges can be stayed. And since that ruling, hundreds of cases have indeed been thrown out of court. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Right now, though, dramatic video of a cougar on a popular hiking trail near Campbell River is opening up a wider conversation about these beautiful animals and how they interact with humans. The video has gone viral now, and as rare as it is to see one of these creatures in the wild, experts say it's likely something we'll see more of in the future. Kylie Stanton explains why. No, I don't have a gun. I have nothing. A camera is the only thing standing between Adam Barst and this 140-pound monster Tom Cougar. He is huge. The encounter lasted more than an hour, giving Barst a chance to record some dramatic video. That cougar was very interested in him. It happened Thursday on a popular walking trail just north of Campbell River. Barch managed to scare off the cougar by yelling and throwing stones. But when it returned three times, he started tracking it. He did use a predator call um, and to try to locate the cat because his yelling didn't seem to locate the cat. And the cat was actually 
uh, following him, following his scent trail. The BC Conservation Officers Service says it hasn't had any unusual reports of cougar activity in the area recently, but the population is on the rise. There are roughly 6,000 cougars in BC, 600 of them on Vancouver Island. The North Island in particular has one of the highest densities in North America. They came along the back fence. Because they're very territorial animals, they're increasingly spotted roaming dangerously close to residential communities. This one in Victoria led police and conservation officers on a wild chase before it was tranquilized and relocated. He's not exactly running away, is he? And while attacks are rare, more cougars and less space means one thing. You need to be prepared. When you go out in the bush to do anything, be prepared. The key is to remain calm, try and maintain eye contact with the cat at all times, and try and make yourself as large and as loud as possible. If the cougar does attack, fight back. And if you happen to have a weapon or some line of defense on hand, even better. In other words, be as aggressive as you can. Shout at it, uh, scream at it, show it that you're going to fight right to the end. It's going to get hurt. Come on, get out of here. It didn't get to that point for Barch. He and the cat eventually went their separate ways. But this face is something he won't soon forget. Kylie Stanton, Global News. New paddling restrictions are being proposed on parts of the Fraser River. The changes would prevent paddle craft crossing the river uh, from crossing the river and eliminate shoreline paddling entirely from a number of stretches. The idea is being met with concern by both businesses and paddling enthusiasts. They, I think, would argue that they're doing it to increase navigational safety so you don't have little boats and big boats missing, uh, mixing it up together. Um, I think actually it's a matter of convenience for them, right? If they don't have to bother with uh, small craft, they can just power on through. But we need to find a way to all get along and to uh, accommodate. Critics say the proposed changes would also have an impact on tourism. The notice is on the Port of Vancouver website, which is taking feedback until March 14th. We did reach out to the port for comment, but we did not hear back by our deadline. Construction on the MacArthur Glen outlets by the airport will kick off this spring. Phase two will deliver 84,000 square feet of additional retail space and up to 35 new luxury, premium and lifestyle brands. In addition, the expansion is expected to create 400 jobs for the construction and retail sectors. The newly expanded mall is expected to open next spring. Lots of parking out there, too, which brings us to our next story and some questions tonight about the customer service being offered by the Impark Company. Andrew is here with a story of one woman's frustration in trying to get some help. Mm-hmm. And she was trying like mad to get some answers here. <laughs> Thanks, you too. Sylvia's son is an ESL student who got an Impark ticket. She says she received an error. She tried repeatedly to reach Impark to try and resolve the issue, but after months of repeated phone calls and letters sent, Sylvia says she had exhausted all her options and turned to Consumer Matters for help. Very surprised. That was Sylvia's son's reaction when she received an $85 in-park ticket for a vehicle she says she wasn't registered to. The parking infraction dated back in September 2017 at this in-park lot along Camby Road in Richmond. Sylvia called in-park several times to resolve the issue, but says she was dismissed. Because English isn't her first language, she asked her teacher, Sue Paul, for help. Well, we tried many, many times to phone in-park. Uh, their customer service line, and every time we got um, a recorded answer. 
Sylvia even mailed letters to the parking management company hoping to reach someone, but without success. In fact, the situation got even worse for Sylvia. Two months later, she received a letter from a collections agency. Very, very worried because I think I'm a, a very polite person and I don't want to break the law. Sylvia contacted ICBC. The corporation wrote a letter on her behalf confirming the license plate in question had been cancelled on May 25, 2017, well before the supposed parking infraction dated September 19, 2017. But uh, we got no response. And so at that point, uh, we decided we needed to uh, contact you people. Consumer Matters reached out to Impark. Shortly after, Sylvia received a letter from the company stating the violation notice has been cancelled. But they don't explain anything else except they said we regret the difficulty you had contacting us. Sylvia and Sue say they are relieved the issue has been resolved but are still upset at Impark over how the issue was handled. The fact that Impark was unwilling to communicate with uh, Sylvia at all during this whole process and it wasn't until you people got involved that they finally sent us a very um, minimal information letter uh, that I think that that's inexcusable. Now, we reached out to Impark again, asking the company to explain why a ticket was initially issued in this instance and an explanation as to what happened here. We were told they were not able to discuss the particulars of any payment notice. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Good work. Thank you, Anne. Well, the ratings are in, and they're not good. Last night's Academy Awards telecast plunged to a record low of 26.5 million viewers. That's down 20% from last year, and the first time on record the Oscars reached fewer than 30 million people. As they say, presenting is lovelier the second time around. Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty return to the stage to announce the Best Picture winner after last year's envelope mix-up, if you remember that. This time, no surprises, The Shape of Water took the top prize. Frances McDormand picked up her second Best Actress Oscar for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. She used her acceptance speech to push for equality in the film industry. So I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Because we all have stories to tell and projects we need finance. Don't talk to us about it at the parties tonight. Invite us into your office in a couple days or you can come to ours, whichever suits you best, and we'll tell you all about them. What a performance. Even on stage at the Oscars, Gary Oldman taking Best Actor for his Winston Churchill and Darkest Hour, Sam Rockwell, and Allison Janney picked up awards in the Supporting Actor categories. And there was some unwanted drama for the Best Actress winner as someone stole Frances McDormand's Oscar while she was at the Post Awards Governor's Ball. Variety is reporting that a celebrity photographer chased down the thief and reunited McDormand with her statuette. The LAPD says a 47-year-old man who actually posted a video of himself with the Oscar on his Facebook page is now facing grand theft charges. and torrential rains in China, too much for an airport roof. 
came down outside a terminal at the International Airport in Jiangxi province. Remarkably, it appears no one was injured, although flights were suspended. Surveillance cameras and amateur video throughout the region captured other damage as it happened. Winds as strong as 110 kilometers an hour, ripping siding off buildings and blowing debris onto roads. Tensions are rising tonight over Donald Trump's call for major tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. Trump now saying he'll exempt Canada if we make concessions on NAFTA. But at the seventh round of negotiations in Mexico City, leaders say there's been little progress on the major sticking points. Regardless, Canada's foreign affairs minister says this country won't back down in the face of Trump's latest tweets. Should restrictions be imposed on Canadian steel and aluminum products, Canada will take appropriate, responsive measures to defend our trade interests and our workers. And we will continue to stand up for steel and aluminum workers and industry. Meanwhile, the Trump name is chiseled off the side of a hotel in Panama, ending a 12-day standoff. The owners of the property wanted to remove Trump management, citing incompetence and the tarnished Trump name. Panamanian officials stepped in and ousted Trump executives from their offices. Now, a warning right off the top about this next story. The first image might be disturbing for some people. Ontario police today released a picture of a dead man, believed to be the seventh victim of alleged serial killer Bruce MacArthur. Global's Catherine McDonald on why investigators took the unusual step. This is the disturbing picture of a dead man who police are trying to identify, believed to be the seventh victim of alleged serial killer Bruce MacArthur. I do not want to release this picture and I'm doing so as a last resort. Police say they have used a number of investigative techniques and spoken to contacts within the gay community in an effort to identify this victim, but have been unsuccessful. We need to put a name to this face and bring closure to this man's loved ones. Detectives will not say how they got the picture and won't comment on whether it was taken by MacArthur himself, perhaps in the Thorncliffe Park apartment, where police believe some of the men were murdered. In the village where the picture quickly circulated, there is sadness and grief that the investigation has come to this. I feel my condolences to your family and friends that know him. This man saw the picture and phoned in a tip. There's a dude I haven't seen in the village in a few years. Um, not that I'm in touch with them, but uh, it's kind of strange. Uh, he seemed to have disappeared off the face of the planet. Investigators also say the decomposing and dismembered remains of a seventh individual have now been recovered from a flower planter seized from this home in Leaside, where MacArthur used to landscape. Police have already identified the remains of three missing men in those planters and now say they are trying to identify four more. This is a unique investigation. The chief forensic pathologist for Ontario calling it challenging due to the gravity of the case, the decomposition and the volume of work. He would be waiting for me at the gas station at Jarvis and Wellesley when I walked home. Back in the village, this tipster says he knew Bruce MacArthur but was not interested. I must have said no to him like a dozen times but he was insistent about it. Catherine McDonald, Global News. A former Russian agent who was convicted of spying for Britain is clinging to life in hospital tonight, the victim of a suspected poisoning. The incident coming a little more than a decade after the murder of another former Russian agent, also by poisoning. Tonight, British authorities are trying to unravel a mystery. 
What unknown substance sent this former Russian spy to the hospital critically ill? Officials say the man and a woman he was with were found unconscious on a shopping mall bench on Sunday. No visible injuries. They looked so out of it that I thought even if I did step in, I wasn't sure how I could help. The hospital emergency room closed for decontamination. They're currently being treated for suspected exposure to an unknown substance. Both are currently in a critical condition in intensive care. The British press identified the man as Sergei Skripal, a 66-year-old former Russian intelligence agent convicted of high treason in Russia for working with British intelligence. He was freed in 2010 as part of a Cold War-style U.S.-Russian spy swap. Today's events drawing parallels to the poisoning of ex-KGB agent and Putin critic Alexander Litvinenko, who died after drinking tea laced with radioactive polonium, an assassination British officials say was likely approved by Putin, a charge the Kremlin denies. But tonight, in this case, police say they still don't know if a crime took place. Lucy Kalfanov, NBC News, London. In health matters tonight, BC's strategy for tackling the opioid overdose crisis is going nationwide. As Aaron MacArthur reports, new national guidelines are based on the programs that have been used in BC since last year. Not only does Mark Haggerty manage his own recovery, as a peer coordinator at the Rapid Access Addictions Clinic at St. Paul's Hospital, he helps other people with their struggles too. Not a lot of people just come in here and that's it, you know, we have the magic pill and you're done, right? For so long, government funding and focus has been on detox, often short-term, temporary access to help. A new paper published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal has set out a number of guidelines for effective addiction therapy. Detox, not one of them. Detox has been kind of a standalone intervention. People go into a detox program and then the door clicks behind them when they leave. And um, we know now that we're actually better off doing nothing because that increases fatal overdoses when we do that. The guidelines are also steering doctors away from methadone as the first line of treatment. Instead, using Suboxone as a much safer alternative. And offering patients with acute substance use disorder slow-release morphine as a final option to manage their symptoms. The guidelines do stop short of injectables, but the steps outlined at least give the healthcare system a starting point to treat opioids as a health epidemic. We know actually that for every dollar that the taxpayer invests in addiction treatment, uh, the savings are about $12 in reduced health and criminal justice costs. At overdose prevention sites, the guidelines don't mean much yet. People still using drugs with unknown potency and content. But giving people a place to go if they do want help, a critical step. What's hopeful to me about, about hearing this from Dr. Woods is that, um, that it will be uh, accepted and normalized outside of the downtown east side. At this stage, the guidelines, just a blueprint for a model to effectively treat addiction. But getting doctors up to speed and then providing the needed social supports for treatment, still a long-term solution. Right now, the goal might just be keeping people alive. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It happens on a regular basis during the winter, but it's not something you see often. A specially equipped train clears deep drifts of snow off tracks in the UK. This is in Norfolk County, an area that took the brunt of last week's Siberian storm. 
The system stopped trains, traffic and airplanes and closed schools for most of last week. That same storm also transformed some British beaches. We'll tell you what washed up on shore right after the weather forecast. Not quite beach weather around here yet, but getting there slowly but surely. A little lighter, a little later in the day. That's right. Yvonne Schell is here with a look at our forecast in for Christy. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, guys. Uh, we just wanted to show you a video and start off uh, what we did see uh, earlier today on the Coquihalla. This was near Box Canyon, where we have seen snowfall uh, continuing even throughout the evening hours tonight. There's a range between 2 and up to 5 centimetres, but if you're heading along the mountain passes, a reminder that we are still seeing snowfall accumulating for a few spots, and there is a break on the way, and I'll have more with your long range in just a moment. Let's shift gears and take a look outside of what we're seeing this evening. So it is dry out there. We've seen a fair bit of cloud cover today. Temperatures are currently sitting at 6 degrees with a northerly wind at 6 kilometres per hour. Temperature high today up to 7 degrees, still slightly below the average for this time of the year that sits at 9, but we're getting there and quite close. Here's a look at some of the numbers. We're ranging anywhere between 5 and 6 degrees. Coquitlam currently sitting at 4. Areas near Tawasson currently sitting at 7 degrees. And it's hope with temperatures at 2. Right now we are seeing showers, but you could see wet flurries late this evening and overnight. The island currently sitting at 5 degrees for Victoria. And good evening into Tofino with your temperature at 6. Big weather story that we're still following unsettled for tomorrow. What we'll see across the south coast is cloud cover, still a chance of showers this evening and similar for a Tuesday morning. And then we'll be into a clearing for the afternoon along the Columbia and Kootenai region. We're still seeing a few flurries for the overnight tonight and then a break late in the day for tomorrow. Not much action on the future cast, but it will be cloud cover, especially for the interior sections tomorrow. And the break on the way will be on our Wednesday with a fair bit of sunshine. Coastal sections tomorrow, a chance of showers inland for terrace. We could still see a few wet flurries or flurries for the early morning hours. It's a clearing for the northeastern corners of the province for areas near the Peace. And much of the central interior will be on the dry side. It's the Columbia and Kootenai region. We could still see a few isolated flurries. Much of the Thompson Okanagan, it'll be cloud cover for tomorrow. Hope we'll see still a chance of showers or wet flurries just for the early morning hours. And most spots across the south coast, we've got a chance of showers for the morning hours. A clearing, the return for some sunshine will be for the afternoon. Temperatures tomorrow up to 8 degrees. Late day rain starts to push in once again on our Wednesday. A very happy birthday this evening to Philip Neal from Pender Island celebrating 100. And we wanted to let you know that we're changing our birthday announcements starting on March the 19th on Monday. They'll be featured on our noon show instead. And tonight's weather window is a fantastic sunset that was taken last night from Sherry and Steveston. Guys? Love that. Very Looks nice. Good. Thanks, Yvonne. All right, that Siberian storm that hit Europe last week has left some British beaches with a slightly unsettling sight and smell. Beaches in southeast and northeast England are covered with thousands upon thousands of dead starfish, lobsters, and other sea life. <laughs> so you're lucky this isn't smell-o-vision. The Marine Oof. Conservation Society says extreme cold caused shallow water to freeze and deep storm waves led to a mass stranding of sea life on shore. Nasty. Ooh. That it is. Spire Spice told it all. It just, I was yeah. going to say, like it. Yeah. would any of those lobsters have been edible if you got there at the right time? Maybe if you got there at the right time. Okay. All right. All right. Good young talent.
Oh, the best in I'm the talking end. about oh, Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that, especially the young part. Uh, I don't even care if you don't think I'm talented. I'm just like, glad you think I'm young. Uh, if the hometown, it is the hometown hero, I should say, against the hometown boy tonight when the Islanders played the Canucks. The two best rookies in the NHL are on the same ice surface, Brock Besser of the Canucks and Matthew Barzell of the New York Islanders. Besser might be the Canucks' newest star, but Barzell is from Coquitlam, so he is going to have a pretty good cheering section of his own this evening. And here comes Barzell getting in over the net. Takes his shot, he scores! He's a good kid. Uh, he, uh, he has the fire in his belly. He wants the, the puck. He wants to be the best. Centers. Besser shoots. He scores! They're definitely two good young players and exciting players for the league. I can see how it's going to be fun to watch these two guys, not just tonight, but for years to come, and rightfully so, they're, the hype on them is, yeah. And that hype is all self-induced and all deserved. Besser and Barzell are the NHL's rookie killer bees. Barzell leading all rookies in points, Besser tops in goals. Come NHL awards night, one of these two will be heading home with the Calder Trophy in his hands as the NHL's top rookie. Obviously, you're talking about a center and a winger, two different positions and, and two different responsibilities, but uh, both are uh, uber, uber impressive, so it should be fun to watch. Buck Besser, still second in rookie scoring in the NHL. He's it's easy to admire the skill set they bring to the ice. Admiration that first began when they crossed paths at a Bantam tournament, then again at the 2015 NHL Combine. They both follow each other on Twitter and Instagram. So yes, not only are they very in tune with their respective games, but also what's at play come season's end. You know, it's uh, really cool to see how good of a year he's having. And uh, he's been that, that good of a player ever since uh, I was playing against him growing up. So He's got obviously one of the, one of the best releases and shots in, in the game. So um, just a lethal goal scorer. You know, every time he winds up to take a shot, everyone kind of holding your breath because you know, I think anywhere he really shoots on the ice, he's, he's got a shot to go in. So. It's the puck again. In front, Besser scores! Of all the goals Besser has sniped, there's one constant, his celebration or lack thereof. For a guy who loves scoring goals, you'd never know it by his subdued reaction. Never been a big celebration guy, I guess. I've only gone to a knee, I think, like once or twice in my life. He knows uh, that he's a really good scorer and he's going to score a lot of goals in this in this league. And, and uh, yeah, he's been impressive. Yeah, it's rare you see him put the hands up. A lot of times it's just a little fist pump. Uh, during the daily Who's in the Starting Lineup briefing, we found out that the Canucks head coach, Travis Green, has an assistant coach we didn't know about. It's his mom, who was upset with news she had heard about Nikolai Goldobin. I'm not going to say what my lines were, and my mom called and was upset because Godolbin might, it was reported that Goldie might not play uh, tonight, which again was, uh, that's not the case, Goldie is in tonight, and Jokinen is also in. Mom's often know best, what else is mom talking about? She has a lot to say, yeah. Who's out there? Nick Dowd is out tonight. Uh, she questions a lot of things I do. <laughs> the Whitecaps started the season accomplishing three things yesterday. One, they beat Montreal. 
uh, two, they unveiled a new fan favorite in Kai Kamara, who scored one of the goals. The other was scored by Alfonso Davies, which leads us to accomplishment number three. Kai Kamara can also be the sidekick and on-field older brother to Alfonso Davies, who is pretty much half Kamara's age, 33 to 17 years old. Kai's a character and a good character for Fonzie, and that's what we need. So it's important he uh, teaches him as well from a player perspective. But, you know, they've got a good chemistry, as is Christian Tachero as well. Yeah, you know, me and Kai, you know, we, uh, we hit it off on the right foot. Um, when he first came in, you know, we got used to each other quickly. Um, so during training, we, we practiced crossing, finishing all the time. So I, I didn't hesitate when I saw him in the ball, just put it in there for him to finish. That is Tyler Tardy, his rink from Langley, representing Canada at the World Junior Curling Championships, which are going on in Scotland. They were facing the U.S. today. This is a draw for two, and the Canadians are now 3-1. They beat the U.S. by the score of 4-2. to Way to go, guys. There you go. Here's today's snow report. Some fresh snow on all of the mountains across the BC in the last 24 hours. 310 centimeter base Whistler Blackcomb, 445 Grouse, 425 Cypress, 404 Sasquatch. Revelstoke a base of 274 centimeters, Manning Park 229, Powder King 285 and Mount Washington 243. In the southern interior, Big White's base 320, 272 Silver Star, 236 Sun Peaks and Apex 294. Well, a self-navigating robotic sailboat is back home safe and sound tonight at UBC after a trip that took an unexpected turn. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the students behind it are already working on their next challenge. You can see that there's water in this one. After being lost at sea for a year, Ada the sailboat is a sight for sore eyes. Have you shaken the boat yet no. to hear it? No. Yeah, it, it like swooshes. That she's finally back at UBC, where she was created by a team of engineering, computer and science students, is being hailed a miracle. Oh! Ada was launched off of Newfoundland in August 2016 in the hopes of becoming the first unmanned small boat to cross the Atlantic. It had to be completely autonomous. We weren't allowed to have any control over the boat, uh, so it would make the entire journey based on its own information and decision making. Her voyage to Ireland started out so well. And we thought, we did it, she's really going to make it. And then, of course, when she started to go south and we knew something had gone wrong. Hurricane Matthew took its toll on Ada, as did the two hurricanes that followed. She went silent, and all hopes were dashed. Until December the following year, when the U.S. research vessel RV Neil Armstrong rescued Ada near Florida. It was incredible. I thought it wasn't real at first. And they sent us pictures, and that was when we knew it was true. It took three more months to get Ada home to Vancouver over land on the back of a truck. When she arrived... We gave her a hug, actually, <laughs> after all she's been through. <laughs> it's a strange mix of nostalgia and also of really new opportunities, because uh, we get the chance to to see what happened to our, to our project after the most severe testing it could have undergone. Huh. I wonder how that happened. What they learn will go a long way towards creating an even better autonomous sailboat when they plan to enter in the Victoria to Maui race in a few years. Even if she had sunk completely, it would have been a huge learning experience. Not a failure at all. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. <laughs> they say you learn more from failure than you do from... You know, 
non-failure, I guess, victory. I think so the we'll thing see. is when you're sailing from Victoria to Maui, you kind of, I want to be on that boat. Uh, yes. Are you sure right. about that? 